असतो मद्गमय तमसो मोतिर्गमय मृत्योर्मातंगमय ओ लीडर्स फ्रॉम द अनरियल टू द रियल लीडर्स फ्रॉम डार्कनेस टू लाइट लीडर्स फ्रॉम डेथ टू इमोटैलिटी ओम पीस 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 बी ऑन टू अस पीस बी ऑन टू ऑल friends the topic for today's service is aspects of self mastery self mastery being in position of ourselves that's perhaps the greatest position greater than any other earthly position that we could have possessing ourselves having mastery over our whole personality that's because in the absence of this greatest position of ourselves our other positions we may not be able to effectively utilize them or benefit by them so self mastery is very much necessary for a meaningful life in the world for our secular pursuits and it's more necessary for success in spiritual life it's not just an interesting theme in philosophy for students of religion but self mastery is a vital necessity it contributes to greater harmony social harmony better interaction with people and it helps us move in the right direction toward the goal of life and the self mastery is common to all the four ways to god realization the way of selfless work karma yoga the way of devotion bhakti yoga the way of contemplation raj yoga and the way of knowledge and discrimination jnana yoga all these four yogas have this as the common factor self mastery we gain mastery over ourselves in different ways in these four different pathways but that we have to have self mastery that's common to all these four yogas and an important point to consider about self mastery is we don't gain mastery over ourselves for nothing self mastery requires sustained self effort self mastery doesn't happen it doesn't happen that with advancing years we gain more and more mastery over our mind that just doesn't happen the mind remains the same the mind of a 30 year old if it is not cultured is with him or her till they are 60 70 until the grave the mind needs to be cultured and self mastery essentially pertains to the mind it pertains to the mind it pertains to disciplining the mind so self mastery requires intense sustained self effort we read in the gita 6th chapter shri krishna teaching arjuna let a man raise himself by his self that's a very important teaching no one else can do it for him uddhareet atmana atmanam we should raise ourselves by our own self what does that mean raising this mind raising a lower self which is slave to so many passions so many desires 
slave to circumstances, slave to people, raising this lower self with the help of our higher self, with the help of the will, buddhi, that is self-mastery, which Sri Krishna wants us to cultivate. Let a man raise himself by his self. And then he says in the same verse, let us not demean ourselves, we should not belittle ourselves in this self-effort to gain self-mastery, thinking of our bad character, bad aspects of our character, thinking of the bad actions or thoughts that we have committed before, that's not going to help us. Sri Krishna says, don't belittle yourself, don't demean yourself. That's another important teaching in this self-mastery. And Sri Krishna continues further in the next verse. Our own self is our friend and our own self is our enemy. Our own self here essentially does not mean the Atman. Self is the friend, self is the enemy. The Atman cannot be our enemy. So self here means the lower self. Our own lower self is our enemy. Our own higher self is our friend. And he explains it still further. A mind that has been controlled acts as our friend. And a mind that has not known discipline acts as our enemy. It acts as our enemy because of its restlessness, because of its turbulent nature, its restless nature. It doesn't help us keep our emotions in check, keep our desires in check. And in fact, this undisciplined self makes us succumb to every random desire arising in the mind. Every thought arising in the most random way, we identify ourselves with that thought and pursue it to its logical conclusion up to the mental level and up to the physical level. All that is because of lack of discipline of the mind. The mind acts as an enemy. It does not help us concentrate on a task in hand, on a book in hand. It doesn't help us concentrate on a divine form and a divine name when we try to meditate. So Sri Krishna says, the mind needs discipline. Only when the mind is disciplined does it begin to act as our friend. And a trained mind, he says, helps us. It acts as our friend. It helps us in our efforts at concentration. It helps us in our spiritual pursuit. It helps us remain oriented to the goal of God-realization. All that is possible when we gain mastery over ourselves. So self-mastery means disciplining this mind. It means mastering the lower self. And this lower self, which goes by the name mind, is restless by nature. It's compared to a monkey, which is restless by nature, but this monkey is inebriated with some liquor, and then a demon has entered into this monkey, and then a scorpion has stung this monkey. So you can imagine how much restless will this monkey be. That's what is our mind. The mind is compared to this restless monkey. Obstinate, stubborn. You wanted to cooperate with you, you wanted to think of something, it won't. You wanted to organize things, it won't. Sometimes it becomes so sluggish, so inert, that you won't sense any movement. It's not a high state, it's the lowest state of inertia, tamas. Just that the body won't wake up, the mind won't wake up sometime, completely immersed in stupor. So that's the restless mind. So this restless mind needs to be disciplined. And this discipline will lead us to self-mastery. So the first and foremost principle in this self-mastery is we should stop identifying with this mind. 
this restless mind this enemy mind is not worthy of becoming our friend for a long time to come granted its contents granted its propensities it has to be kept at arm's length not physically but mentally mentally we need to distance ourselves from this mind if we are serious about self mastery most people don't take this self mastery seriously most people don't even think about this that's because they are so much identified with their mind that their will is very weak will power always helps us assert ourselves against the mind it helps us do what we believe to be right but most people live a life driven by the contents of their mind driven by their samskaras but they'll be more serious if they know what's at stake in giving a free rein to the mind first is we remain slaves of the mind all the time doing its bidding all the time happy this moment confused the next moment thinking about nothing in particular having some imaginary fears all that is enough to rob me of my self effort in the present it thinks about something that is going to happen it might not happen at all but keeps thinking anxiety restlessness or something that has already happened something that i have committed some mistake i have done the mind keeps thinking about all that and since i am one with the mind i keep thinking about all that so what happens is in the present i lose time not making use of the present but just brooding over things which are not helpful so that is what is at stake this kind of uh, lack of self mastery makes us remain slaves of the mind and it ensures that our precious life this human life is held in bondage and such a life will certainly end in frustration not in fulfillment but in frustration true fulfillment is possible only when we gain the knowledge of our true self which is divine we are not this body we are not this mind teaches vedanta we are the self we are the divine self called the atman and god dwells in that self and in the moment of realization when my attachment to the mind and body have all gone i become one with that god one with the divine self that is the goal of life and only that goal attainment can give us true fulfillment otherwise a life that is spent only in pursuit of objects in pursuit of uh, possessions power in other words in a single word worldly prosperity such a life is bound to end in some kind of a frustration there would be money there would be power there would be possessions but there will be something lacking lacking is meaning of life what have i achieved in life despite all my secular achievement what is the purpose of my life there is no fulfillment but there is frustration all that is due to lack of self mastery shri krishna describes in the gita what's at stake when we don't master our lower self the turbulent senses o arjuna do violently snatch away the mind of even a wise man striving after perfection the turbulent senses 
the ears, the skin, the eyes, the tongue, the nose. These are the five senses which bring us knowledge of objects in the world. Five kinds of perception. And the mind is always attached to any of these organs. It's eager to be in contact with these organs which try always to be in contact with some objects. So, Shri Krishna says here, such a life of succumbing to the mind which is attached to the sense organs, which are attached to the sense objects, what happens to such a life? The turbulent senses do violently snatch away the mind of even a wise man striving after perfection. And then he says, in the same second chapter, For the mind which follows the wake of the wandering senses carries away his discrimination as wind carries off its coats, a boat on the waters. So a sense organ strays behind a sense object. The mind follows it. Then what happens is it carries away our discrimination, our buddhi, our will. And when the will is gone, we are gone. We are gone with the mind. And our own higher nature, our own divine nature, doesn't make sense to us. Atman, A-T-M-A-N, five-letter word. God, three-letter word. That's what happens to people who are totally attached to their mind. These things don't make any dent, dent in their minds. That's because... The mind has had a free reign. So that's what is at stake. Our life will end in frustration. This valuable human life. Sri Ramakrishna says, if after getting this human birth, which is very hard to get, a person does not struggle for God-realization, such a life has been lived in vain. It's only in a human being that this power of discrimination can be exercised. What's right, what's wrong, what's moral, what's immoral. Are my thoughts and actions in line with my aspirations? This kind of a perception, this kind of a witness attitude is possible only for human beings. And this witness attitude, this power of discrimination, this is the only quality that distinguishes a human being from animals. When this is not awake, when the will is not exercised, when the mind is given a free rein, it's not given a free rein, it has its free rein already. When life is lived this way, prompted by samskaras, prompted by our impulses, human life doesn't become meaningful. And, of course, we don't worry much about what happens after death, but it's good to keep in mind, we don't know when once again we'll be vouchsafed this human birth. So we are human beings, this human birth is very valuable, so it makes sense to make it fruitful. It makes sense to live in such a way that our life becomes meaningful. So in the absence of self-mastery, there is no true happiness because happiness is determined by the mind. If there is no self-mastery, we are happy when the mind chooses to be happy. We are miserable when the mind is miserable. The mind is mostly miserable because of uncertainties in life. Uncertainties Define life. Pairs of opposites. Define life. The mind wants everything positive. Happiness, praise, success. But you have pairs of opposites. You have misery, failure, blame. So the mind always seeks one to the exclusion of the other. It gets attracted to the pleasant and loathes the painful. So the mind determines whether we are happy as long as we are attached to the mind. But if we want to be happy, independent of the mind, that's possible only when we grow in devotion to God.
who is all bliss or the more and more of our divinity manifests itself and our divinity which is the core of our being is existence knowledge and bliss absolute bliss absolute absolute bliss untainted unfiltered by the mind and the senses the happiness that we get from the objects of the world is that bliss filtered through the mind and the senses and that happiness arising out of the contact of the sense organs with the sense objects is infinitesimally small compared to the bliss which is ours which we are so that means the case for self mastery with an uncontrolled mind success in spiritual life is a far cry success in even secular life is very difficult for an undisciplined mind on the other hand a controlled mind leads us to spiritual illumination leads us to fulfillment and leads us to infinite bliss infinite knowledge and infinite being which is our true nature now the self mastery we saw needs sustained effort and there are three aspects to this self mastery shri krishna gives three kinds of discipline to gain mastery over ourselves in a person who has mastered his lower self his thoughts his words his deeds are in alignment there is no divergence in other words the mind body and speech they are in alignment they are in sync shri ramakrishna says make your thoughts and actions one don't be a traitor in your thoughts that means don't think of something do something else we have spiritual aspiration but do everything that's not going to lead us spiritually forward so that's it that involves struggle so our thought our words and our deeds are our mind speech and body they have to be disciplined we have to gain mastery at these three levels and shri krishna describes this threefold discipline to master the body to master our speech and the mind you find this in the 17th chapter first discipline of the body worship of the gods of the twice born of teachers and of the wise cleanliness uprightness continence and non-violence these are said to be the austerity of the body physical austerity physical discipline first is worship of the gods worship of the gods that's because we try to live religion not just subscribe to a dogma subscribe to a belief but when we worship gods and goddesses we try to grow in purity we try to grow in our divinity more and more of our divine nature begins to manifest itself when we worship gods and goddesses and then you have worship of the twice born by twice born is meant those who were initiated into a mantra in the indian context the first three castes the brahmana the kshatriya and the vaishya they are initiated into gayatri mantra sacred thread ceremony so these people are to be venerated because they try to live a religious life that is the fundamental thing they try to grow in culture but when you still make it narrow we you see in the first chapter Duryodhana addressing Drona as a dvija twice born so twice born are those who are as if born again all of us who repeat a divine name who meditate on a divine form who receive this initiation we are twice born because the first birth birth of this body was because of our parents but in this spiritual birth is from the spiritual teacher we are born again 
not to be one with the body but to live in the body as the spirit so worship of the twice born worship of spiritual teachers and and the wise people who are wiser people who know better spiritually of course and even traditional secular scholarship people who are learned more learned than us they deserve our respect cleanliness physical purity is what is meant here uprightness uprightness is essentially a quality of the mind but uprightness physically refers to keeping the body well trained and uprightness in spiritual practice refers to sitting with our head neck and back erect in line shri krishna describes in the gita in the 6th chapter the position for spiritual practice because when the head is bent there is not a a suitable posture to think of high thoughts so uprightness physical uprightness and then you have continence conserving our energy conserving our physical energy and ensuring that it isn't run down through lower channels there is continence keeping the mind on god brahmacharya brahmacharya means living and moving in brahman trying to keep the mind on god so that our precious energy does not get wasted in lower channels and when it is wasted in lower channels there is hardly any energy left for higher striving shri ramakrishna says a farmer tries to bring water from a reservoir to his field he has cut a, a channel through which water has to reach the field from the reservoir but there are so many rat holes in that channel so finally the field ends up getting very less water than what the farmer thought it would get that's because most of the water have leaked out through these rat holes so shri ramakrishna says we need to discipline the senses otherwise if the energy gets lost through all different sense organs there is hardly any left to irrigate the field field of the mind so physical discipline continence then non violence not harming others physically with the body of course it's implied that non violence has to be practiced at the verbal level and also at the mental level not to think of any harm for others not to speak ill of others that comes later the second discipline of speech so here non violence these are said to be austerity of the body and this austerity when we say austerity it means disciplining the mind so that the mind and the senses are able to concentrate within on god on our divine self that's what is austerity called austerity means there is a definition of the mahabharata manasasya indriyanamcha aikagriyam tapa uchyate austerity is defined as one pointed concentration of the mind and the senses not on the object but on the truth within that is austerity so any kind of austerity we perform with the body abstaining from food abstaining from some favorite food or giving up a meal on an auspicious day fasting all this is physical austerity but the aim is to strengthen the will they are not just routine observances it gives us some elation right but the idea is to strengthen the will i won't have this and if i don't have it i score a point over the mind but if i succumb to it i make a resolve i won't do this and if i end up doing it nothing happens no one is going to kill us with a rod in hand no one is going to punish us but we end up being weak-willed 
but when we are able to successfully carry out what we resolve we grow strong in the will so that's the purpose of all these austerities they can take any form physical austerity but the only goal is this it doesn't mean injuring ourselves they are all tamasic austerities but true austerity physical austerity should help us sharpen our will awaken the buddhi and make us strong within so the stronger we are with reference to the mind the less we succumb to the mind and the more we are able to live a spiritual life and the physical discipline also includes moderation in eating moderation in sleeping and moderation in exercise ahara vihara and sleep shri krishna teaches in the gita moderation the middle way he says yoga is not for one who overeats or one who starves himself yoga is also not for one who oversleeps or who doesn't sleep at all so the middle way is what is required so not giving into extremes but living the middle way that's also physical austerity because it's easy to be carried away by anything a momentary spurt of inspiration can make us go to one extreme and we come back to this extreme prompted by our samskaras so moderation in sleep moderation in eating and moderate exercise all this falls under gaining physical mastery then we have discipline of speech words that do not give offense and that are truthful pleasant and beneficial and also the regular recitation of the vedas these are said to be austerity of speech words that do not give offense words that do not incite others shri krishna says elsewhere in the 12th chapter describing the characteristics of a devotee dear to him a dear devotee is one who doesn't give offense to others and who is not offended by others in that he is not a cause for some kind of a perturbance in them some kind of a, an incitement some kind of a, a turbulence an anger so this devotee is not a cause of that happening in the other person and he is not perturbed by others saying or doing anything so that's an important characteristic of a devotee of god who is dear to god so there is the first discipline of speech words that do not give offense to others and words that are truthful pleasant and beneficial that's important truthful they should also be pleasant they should also be beneficial there is a beautiful sanskrit verse which describes how to be truthful it says speak the truth speak what is pleasant don't speak an unpleasant truth don't speak an untruth just to make it pleasant that's the challenge first is speak the truth don't speak an unpleasant truth because we know something it's not necessary for us to just go on telling people about it some information could have come to us in a passive way you won't have sought that information it's not necessary for us to contribute that if it is some unpleasant truth about someone as long as it doesn't concern us as long as we don't come into the picture keeping quiet will do good to a spiritual seeker so speak the truth speak what is pleasant don't speak an unpleasant truth don't speak an untruth just to make it pleasant to the hearer so that is the fourfold discipline in speaking truth so here we read words that are truthful pleasant and beneficial and also regular recitation of the vedas regular study of the scriptures regular study of the scriptures helps us keep the mind on a higher plane the mind gathers its own dirt every day 
day in and day out from our interaction with people from events happening in our life this mind has to be trained when the mind keeps on gathering so many kinds of inputs we need to make it a point that at fixed times of the day we need to gather some wholesome inputs and that is where the study of scriptures comes in study of scriptures is very important for a spiritual seeker it needs to become a part of our spiritual discipline we don't study the scriptures to gain scholarship not to be able to give lectures but to keep the mind oriented toward the goal because the mind can easily forget this goal of god realization this goal of the human life so when we study the scriptures we are reminded of our true nature we are reminded of the goal of life we are reminded of god and his attributes and we are reminded of the noble teachings from god realized souls so study of scriptures has to be a part of our life and that is one of the disciplines prescribed for gaining mastery over speech and then we have mastery over the mind serenity of mind gentleness silence self control and purity of heart these constitute the austerity of the mind serenity of the mind gentleness serenity of the mind means the mind not bursting into waves with any and every stimulus coming from outside coming from others but some kind of a balance some kind of an equipoise which shri krishna defines as yoga samatvam yoga uchyate shri krishna teaches in the gita so that serenity not being perturbed it's an ideal state but we can grow toward that state we don't need to react to any and every word coming from others we don't need to react to any and every even happening in our life in the most impulsive way we need to react true but not impulsively not prompted by our samskaras if others are good to me gentle to me i'm gentle to them if others are rude to me i am also rude to them that means others are deciding how i react it's not something great it's not something to to make a song about if i try to be gentle if i try to be wholesome independent of others attitude toward me that's character then i do it by choice i decide how to behave if others decide how i behave gentle or rude that means it's only being a slave slave to others slave to my samskaras so serenity means some kind of a balance some kind of a calmness gentleness gentleness in in behavior in interaction with others but we should have one thing in mind all this does not mean weakness all these are not traits of weakness but traits of strength strength that means a person has the strength the person can can react in a way that can hurt the other person but he doesn't that is what is self control that is what is non violence swami vivekananda says non violence does not become a virtue unless you have the capacity to strike straight from your shoulders and don't i don't have the capacity to strike i don't have the capacity to react and yet try to make a virtue out of necessity and say i am practicing non violence that's only deluding myself so all these qualities here they are all qualities born of strength strength within not weakness manifesting as these qualities so serenity gentleness silence silence is again it's being conscious of expenditure of words it doesn't mean forced silence not speaking but then indicating to others everything possible with our actions that's not silent that doesn't help us much 
silences, thinking twice, thinking any number of times before giving expression to our thoughts, before reacting in a particular way. It essentially means control of thought before speaking. But with people who lack control of any kind in their speech, they cannot even think silently. They think aloud all the time. What's meant here is we should think twice before speaking, before conveying something to others. Some people might just say, Oh, it's so cloudy, is it going to rain today? It's a thought. And this question doesn't have a reply. It's a rhetoric question. And you're just thinking, you're looking at the sky, see it's cloudy, and then you're wondering if it's going to rain today. If you cannot contain that wonder in your thought level, and you just say, Oh, it's very cloudy. I wonder it's going to rain. That means there's lack of control over speech. Something that is not going to get an answer from others. Something that can be arrested at the thought level. I'm just wondering. So that is lack of control. But this is a much higher kind of control. Even when we need to speak, not to speak impulsively, but in a wholesome way. We need to remember that earlier austerity of speech Speak what is true, speak what is pleasant. Don't speak an unpleasant truth and don't speak an untruth just because it is pleasant to hear. All these are aspects of gaining mastery over ourselves. So silence, then self-control, discipline of the mind, self-control, self-mastery and purity of heart. Purity of heart means trying to fill our mind with noble thoughts, with thoughts of God. Purity of body, we can understand. Purity of mind is determined by the extent to which the mind dwells on God. The extent to which the mind dwells on God when we sit down to meditate, when we sit down to repeat the name of God. How much does the mind dwell on God? And how much is the mind tossed about by so many other stimuli? That's an index of purity of mind. The divine name is supposed to help us grow in purity of mind, in strength of mind. So self-control and purity of heart, purity of heart or purity of mind, both are the same. These constitute the austerity of mind. So this is the threefold discipline to gain mastery at three different levels. At the physical level, at the speech level, and at the mental level. And Sri Krishna says in the Gita, there are two requirements for self-mastery. Arjuna asks an important question on behalf of all of us in the sixth chapter. Sri Krishna describes yoga. Sri Krishna teaches Arjuna how to meditate. Sit erect, meditate, think of Om. All that Sri Krishna gives the teaching, yoga of meditation, dhyana yoga. That is the title of the chapter 6. After Sri Krishna has taught this yoga, yoga he defines as severance of contact with pain. And pain pertains to the body. And pain pertains to this unregenerate mind. And he defines yoga as severance of contact with pain. So all this profound discourse Sri Krishna gives. And after that Arjuna asks Sri Krishna, this yoga of yours Characterized by sameness, samyena madhusudana. That means the even-mindedness. This yoga which you taught just now, characterized by even-mindedness, I don't see any steadiness of this yoga in me. That's because the mind is unsteady, the mind is fickle, the mind is obstinate. Unless the mind is firm, strong. This yoga cannot take roots in us. So Arjuna tells Sri Krishna, this mind is obstinate, this mind is fickle, this mind is restless. To control this mind, I think, is like controlling the wind. Then Sri Krishna replies, true, the mind is restless, true, the mind is fickle. But this mind can be controlled by two things, practice and detachment. So these are two requirements for self-mastery. 
practice, repeated practice and detachment. Detachment from everything that doesn't help us gain self-mastery. Everything that will put us back, back on track, on the previous beaten track. Every stimulus that will bring out some hidden impression which will make us repeat that particular undesirable action. All this I need to stay clear of. That's what is meant by detachment. The mind can be brought around, the mind can be disciplined by two things, practice and detachment. And this detachment is a quality of the will. We'll come to it. Practice essentially means bringing back the mind whenever it strays from the object of meditation. From the task in hand, bringing it back little by little, not hurrying, not being impatient, not belittling ourselves. Oh, this mind is so turbulent. I try to repeat the name of God. The mind is restless. I am not able to focus even for a second. All that is true, but we don't need to belittle ourselves. That's the nature of the mind. We belittle ourselves because we are one with the mind. We can say, my mind is restless, my mind doesn't focus on God. That's acceptable, because I am different from the mind. So the challenge in this detachment is to detach ourselves from this mind, this lower self. And detach ourselves from every stimulus that can effect backsliding, effect a failure. So practice and detachment. But there are things that stand in the way of this gaining mastery. There are obstacles in the way of this practice. There are obstacles in gaining self-mastery. What are those obstacles? The main obstacle is the mind itself. The mind doesn't want us to gain mastery over it. The mind doesn't want any kind of discipline. The mind doesn't want any kind of order. The mind doesn't want to be in the present any time. We're reading something, we're listening to something. The mind is, is focused for a while. Then it immediately goes somewhere else. Thinking about something in the future or something in the past. Then we become suddenly aware. Our eyes are open. The book is open. And we apparently gather in the words. But the mind has gone somewhere else. Unfortunately, we also along with the mind. By we, is meant the self, because the body is here. The body is here, the eyes are open, the book is open. But the mind has gone somewhere else, and I have also gone with the mind. And suddenly I wake up. Oh, I sat with the book in hand. I sat to do japa. That's the nature of the mind. We don't need to curse ourselves for this. Oh, my mind is like this. My mind is like this, okay. But there are ways taught by great people, great souls who have realized God. And that's where comes regularity in spiritual practice, whether the mind wants it or not. So the main obstacle is the mind itself. The difficulties we find, we experience in gaining self-mastery are posed by the mind itself. And the second thing that stands in the way of gaining self-mastery is our strong likes and dislikes, again prompted by our samskaras. I have my orientation. I know things in a particular way. It's fine, as long as it doesn't come in the way of others. It's fine, because I cannot just get out of my body, get out of my samskaras. But our strong likes and dislikes, our preconceived notions, our preconditions, can be a great stumbling block for us to grow. I have been doing it like this for 30 years, don't I know? That don't I know, that question itself is a stumbling block for further growth. Sri Ramakrishna says, as long as I live, so long do I learn. That kind of an openness to learn. We don't need to listen to any and everyone who is prepared to give us gratis advice. But a sense of openness, openness to learn from anyone. 
not rejecting an idea because we don't like the source. That's a natural tendency of the mind. But this openness of mind, that's a great help in gaining mastery over ourselves. And the next obstacle to gaining self-mastery is immoral life. When a person is not grounded in morality, in moral life, self-mastery is a far cry. The Kato Upanishad says, He who has not refrained from bad character can never hope to realize the self. It doesn't mean he is eternally condemned to hell. As long as he has not refrained from bad habits, bad character, he cannot hope to realize the self. The positive is true. When we begin to work on ourselves, when we begin to grow strong in our good character, when we begin to turn over a new leaf, there are more chances of our gaining perfection. Harming others intentionally, people having this trait also will find gaining self-mastery very difficult. And the next stumbling block in gaining self-mastery is intoxicants and a life of extremes. Anyone who is a slave to intoxicants cannot even think of self-mastery. They may always think it would be better for me to have some kind of a mastery over myself. But nothing hardly will ever happen in such a person. Addicted to some drinks, addicted to intoxicants. So that's a great stumbling block in gaining self-mastery. And the next obstacle is the feeling of guilt. Every one of us has committed our own quota of mistakes. But a spiritual seeker tries not to dwell in the past, tries not to have this guilt feeling all the time, but prays to God. Sri Ramakrishna teaches, pray to God, O oh God, I might have done bad things, I might have done wrong things in the past, but I won't do them again. Offer yourself to God. Offer your body, mind and soul to God, who is that infinite spirit. And make this promise, I won't do it again. That helps us free ourselves from guilt. Because no one is absolutely perfect. As I said, every one of us has had our own share of mistakes. And these mistakes are stepping stones to success. So a spiritual seeker needs to take care that they don't dwell on the past, they don't belittle themselves, but our weaknesses are for us to confide in God. We are not supposed to go about telling others, these are my weaknesses. That doesn't help us in any way. On the contrary, we are going to belittle ourselves in their eyes. So, this feeling of guilt is another stumbling block. And that can be gotten rid of, as I said, by prayer. So to gain the self-mastery, the most important thing that is needed is perseverance. Not giving up because of mental resistance. Swami Vivekananda says, The mind has to be gradually and systematically brought under control. The will has to be strengthened by slow, continuous and persevering drill. This is no child's play. No fad to be tried one day and discarded the next. It's a life's work. And the end to be attained is well worth all that it can cost us to reach it. Being nothing less than the realization of our absolute oneness with the divine. Surely with this end in view and with the knowledge that we can certainly succeed, no price can be too high too great to pay. And about the mistakes, about our struggles, Swamiji has these inspiring words. Never mind the struggles, the mistakes. I never heard a cow tell a lie, but it's only a cow, never a man. So never mind these failures, these little backslidings. Hold the ideal a thousand times. And if you fail a thousand times, make the attempt once more. So that kind of a spirit is required for self-mastery. And by way of practice, we have a few points to consider.
the first and foremost practice in gaining self-mastery is to think more and more about our true nature, about our divine nature, filling our mind with positive thoughts. We need to assert ourselves, assert our independence from the mind. I am a divine being. I am an entity different from the body, different from the mind. That's enough. I am the Atman, maybe too unrealistic right now. But that's the truth. But I am an entity different from the body, different from the mind. So I am not going to succumb to the mind. That kind of an attitude is very important. Because self-mastery is not possible as long as we remain identified with the mind. And bringing back the mind every time it strays, patiently, slowly, little by little. And another important thing that we can practice in gaining mastery over ourselves is to order our daily life, having a routine in our life. The importance of this having a daily routine can never be overemphasized. Only when we try it do we understand the positive effect it has on strengthening the will. It has on making us our own masters. Having a daily routine, doing things at the appointed time will save the energies that are being frittered away by a restless mind. As we saw earlier, the mind is restless by nature. It doesn't want any kind of order. It doesn't want this kind of regimentation, so to say. That's how the mind looks upon this daily routine. At 8 o'clock in the morning, you sit down in your uh, lounger and keep thinking, what shall I do now? Shall I go for a shower? Shall I study some book? Shall I read the newspaper? Shall I return my friend's call? And so on and so forth. So many things keep on going in the mind. And we are thinking we're relaxing. Let's say after about 30 minutes, we discover that we have thought about so many things, so many unrealistic things also in the meantime. We have been daydreaming. We considered so many options. And after 30 minutes, we discover we didn't do any one of them. So it's a trick the mind has played on us. The mind says, if you subject yourself to some kind of a routine, you become some kind of a robot. You don't have any scope for expression of your creativity. That's what the mind says. The mind wants us to believe that argument. And since we are one with the mind, we hold brief for the mind. When someone asks us to live a life of routine, we say, oh no, that's going to make you something mechanical, an automaton. That's what the mind says. Because the mind loathes any kind of order. It revels in chaos, randomness. But when we decide, I'm going to do this at 8 o'clock, waking up at some time, and then ablutions, then prayer, let's say 8 o'clock, I'll have my breakfast. When we do it day after day after day, the mind doesn't have a chance to think of anything else at 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock, you have breakfast, that's it. And so on, during other times. What do we gain in the process? Conservation of precious mental energy. A mind that has been given a free reign to think of anything and everything under the sun cannot be expected to focus on the divine ideal in the heart when we sit for our spiritual practices for 10 minutes. At that time it will run probably more intensely. Because we have allowed it to run. A mind that has enjoyed freedom to run is not going to submit to us when we sit down to meditate. So this self-mastery, if we are serious about it, trying to live a life of routine deserves our consideration. To the extent we give this a try, we can easily see how to that extent the mind grows in strength and we grow in self-mastery. And the next is filling the mind with noble thoughts, positive thoughts, noble thoughts, letting the mind think of any and every kind of thought, most of which can only lead us to misery. 
doesn't help us. We need to think of positive thoughts, strengthening thoughts. Swami Vivekananda says, just as bad thoughts and bad actions are ready to pounce on us like tigers, there is also the inspiring hope that good thoughts and good deeds are ready to protect us, defend us with the power of a hundred thousand angels always and forever. This is Swami Vivekananda's words. Good thoughts and good deeds are ready to protect us with the power of a hundred thousand angels. But good thoughts and good deeds don't happen automatically. Good deeds, we need to think to do good deeds. Good thoughts, we need to think. We don't wait for the mind to think of some good thought in the midst of so many thousands of bad thoughts, random thoughts. That's not the way. So if you're serious about self-mastery, filling the mind with noble thoughts is a great help. Regularity in prayer, regularity in japa and meditation. As our spiritual practices grow in intensity, our mind becomes more and more God-centered and less and less object-centered. Right now it's centered on objects, objects in the world, others, other inanimate objects, my possessions. The mind is outward-looking. When we grow in spiritual intensity, the mind dwells more and more on God and less and less on all these ephemeral objects. And repeating the divine name with love, with devotion. Sri Ramakrishna says, we should repeat the divine name with faith. With this faith, I have repeated the name of God. How can I be weak anymore? How can I sin anymore? That kind of a faith. Because the divine name is not different from God himself. That's a very important teaching. When we repeat the divine name, since we are identified with the mind, a part of the mind repeats the name and we hardly have any contact with that repetition. But we are almost always submerged in the vortex of the mind. But for a change, if we try this, we try to identify ourselves with the name. Let the vortex and the mind take care of themselves. It's an involved struggle. It doesn't happen automatically. We try to identify ourselves with the name in that God and God's name are not different. I have not seen God yet. I am not able to see a divine form within. But the name is with me. And the name is as powerful as God himself. So I would rather repeat the name consciously and leave the vortex of the mind to itself. Let's give this a try. When we do it, the mind really dissipates itself. It tries to go here and there. But in the absence of our consciousness to energize it, it stops its gyrations. Because the mantra is all-powerful. The mantra is not different from God. God is existence, consciousness and bliss absolute. All power, all purity. So such kind of a qualitative improvement in our spiritual practice will help us greatly in gaining self-mastery. So the points we discussed today. Self-mastery is possible by two things, practice and detachment. And what's at stake in giving the mind a free rein is it can make us a moral wreck. But mastery over ourselves leads us to supreme bliss. And we saw obstacles to mind control, obstacles to self-mastery. Mainly, the main obstacle is the mind itself, the mind and our samskaras. So the more the mind is disciplined, the more we are able to gain mastery over ourselves. And we saw the threefold discipline prescribed in the Gita. Discipline of the body, discipline of speech, and discipline of the mind. And then we saw the most important thing is self-mastery needs sustained self-effort. And Sri Krishna says, the mind can be controlled with two things, practice and detachment. Repeatedly bringing back the mind on the ideal every time it strays and detaching ourselves from everything that is not going to help us in gaining self-mastery. 
And we saw that by way of practice, we need to keep in mind certain things. One is always thinking of ourselves, thinking of the purity and power that is inherent in us, and bringing the straying mind back to the ideal whenever it strays. And then we saw the importance of having a daily routine, then the power of noble thoughts, then doing prayer and japa at appointed times, being regular with our devotions, and trying to repeat the name in a qualitatively better way, in a more intense way. And we also saw the second aspect. All this is practice, detachment. Detachment from anything that doesn't help us in the attainment of God-realization, in the attainment of this goal of gaining self-mastery. And this detachment is a quality of the will, buddhi. So the more the buddhi is awake, the more and more of our mind comes under our control and we grow in self-mastery. Thank you.